This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Hi there, good to have you along on this podcast. And if movies is your thing, then you'll know that our movie critic, William Mullally, is the man to listen to when it comes to films. This week, he's diving into the sea and talking all about The Little Mermaid. Enjoy the podcast and join me live on the show, weeknights 8 through 10, here on Dubai Eye 103.8. You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is The Night Shift with Mark Lloyd. On Dubai Eye 103.8. Welcome back into the show and it's movie time right now. William Mullally, the film critic in the region, the ultimate film critic in the region, joins me once again on the show to talk all things movies. And it's time to get our flippers on as we're going underwater this week with The Little Mermaid, which I'm hearing amazing reports about, um, William, especially the star of this film, Holly Bailey. Yeah, and I think, honestly, this, this project lives and dies on its lead. You know, it's called The Little Mermaid for a reason. We need to uh, really, I think, find someone who embodies the spirit of Ariel. And I, I think Disney has learned a lot from this ongoing project of remaking all of its animated classics. Yeah. The different films, I think, have, you know, when we started off, it was like Cinderella. And Cinderella was wonderful, but it didn't feel like the Cinderella animation. And then they kind of went very literal, I think, with, um, with Beauty and the Beast and with Lion King. But, you know, although those films have their fans, I think there are some criticisms that make sense, you know, like, although there's a wonderful star with Beauty and the Beast, Emma Watson is not a singer. She's just not. She's an actress. And these are such singer-focused films yeah, right. that I think it made so much sense for them to get, you know, a proper singer. You know, that's what she does. That's her, her lifeblood for Little Mermaid. And I think that we're also incredibly lucky in finding someone who just is Ariel, you know? I, I think... Obviously, there's certain people who say, but she should look exactly like this. You know, she needs to. But it, at the end of the day, I think really it's about the spirit of that character and what they can bring to it. And I think Hallie just feels so much like this, you know, innocent, you know, Disney princess, um, more so than any actor, I think, out there. And so I don't think they could have improved um, by casting someone who looks just like the, the cartoon version. I think they really need to find someone who just was her. And I think. You know, I was speaking to her just a few days ago, and I think she was able to connect with Ariel's journey very much by, you know, connecting it to her own life. I think that there are so many traits and characteristics of Ariel that I would love to keep as my own. Um, I feel like she taught me so much about myself. And, you know, I auditioned for this film when I was 18, and I'm 23 mm-hmm. now. So mm-hmm. it's truly a really transformative time for me. Um Growing up, I'm used to being a singer and musician, so I'm used to being on the road. I didn't experience kind of like the brick and mortar school. Um, I was homeschooled and would be doing it on the tour bus and everything. So for this uh, film was the first time I was on my own filming something like this. It almost felt like a college experience for me. (laughs) And, you know, Ariel... Um, really helped me find myself and who I am independently on my own. And um, I hope that I've kept some of, like Jenna was saying, the qualities that these beautiful characters have. I mean, she's passionate and headstrong and courageous and um, just sees so much for herself and her future. And I aspire to be like that, I would say. Well, there's Halle Bailey then, the star of The Little Mermaid, talking about her role in this movie. Let's hear the trailer. 
was drowning, I had to save him. This obsession with humans has to stop. I just want to know more about them. Ariel, don't! Poor child. I can help you. You can't live in that world unless you become a human yourself. Is that even possible? That's <laughs> what I live for. Well, there's the trailer then for uh, Little Mermaid, uh, starring uh, Halle Bailey. I, I'm, I'm nearly saying Berry every time, uh, William. It's, it's an easy trap to fall into, isn't it? But Halle Bailey, yeah. Um, you also caught up with uh, another one of the actors in this film. Yeah, that's the thing. So, really, I, I think this is also a film that learned from The Lion King in a lot of ways. You know, this was, you know, because the, the Lion King, you know, although it was a gigantic, massive hit, one of the things people said about it is that, you know, these they're not expressive like the cartoon was. And I think with this one, although it is very photorealistic in the way they shoot it down to the, the lighting. And as we were speaking about last week being, you know, just very like, although painstakingly recreated to just look as natural as possible to really being under the sea, the, you know, the animals themselves, you know, Sebastian, the crab, yeah. um, you know, flounder, um, all of these look like actual, you know, fish and crabs and things, but they do a wonderful job of mapping the actors' faces to the cartoons. And I think that's one of the reasons that it works so well, because even though you are looking at what looks like a real crab, it does have the ability to show emotion. You know, when, right. when Ariel is running off from her dad and getting in trouble, and Sebastian knows that he's going to get in trouble, he looks a bit panicked. And otherwise, it just, this would not work. And I think, really, at the end of the day, it shows you that this is a performance, not just a, a cartoon recreation of this. This is something that, you know, David Diggs, who plays Sebastian the Crab, and um, Jacob Tremblay, who plays Flounder, um, really did bring to it. They filmed them in the, the studio as they recorded their dialogue and then animated those faces onto these characters. I mean, we we never really got to talk with the animators too much, but what was cool about the whole recording process is that they had cameras that they had filming us. And so basically what they would do is they would take like our facial expressions and then implement that into when animating the characters. And even for like... um gestures too in general just um like say i were to move my arm a certain way when when saying a line like this they would kind of take that and say maybe um recreate that but with a fin because flounder he's got his he's got his fins so uh yeah and then obviously the same goes for for scuttle and, and sebastian yeah it's funny when you watch it back because you realize that they were taping your face while you were recording it and so like some of Sebastian's eye things. I was like, oh, I must have been really going for it. <laughs> you can see yourself like in their, their movement. It looks a little too much like me to be an animal with essentially <laughs> no face. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think um, having Lynn here as a key producer and voice, obviously, you know, you know David is a longtime collaborator of yours. What were you guys' conversations like? What, what were the biggest concerns in expanding upon this story and bringing it to a different generation? Uh, I don't know. Lynn is one of the more unafraid creators I know. Like he, it, but like he was just excited about. It. He loves this movie. You know, he like loves the Little Mermaid. His son's name Sebastian. Like he, you know, like he, uh, yeah, he, he's before we knew that this was happening. We'd had conversations about the Little Mermaid. You know, like he, the the music in this one is so important to him. So for me, it was just really fun to get to watch my friend like add some of his own like l lyrical techniques to his favorite 
thing, you know, like he was so excited about it. And that was fun for me to watch. Well, there we are. We've got a flounder and we've got a crab talking to us about how they went about showing emotion in this film. Of course, uh, it's the new one, The Little Mermaid, opening up this weekend, William. Yes, and it was. I think it's going to be a just massive, massive hit. And I think also there's a lot. I mean, this is you know, it is the original Little Mermaid story. All the beats yeah. are there. All the characters are there. Yeah. But at the same time, they've also added a lot. Um, it's a half an hour longer, and there's a lot of you know new songs. You know, Prince Eric has his own song, his own "I Want" song, as the kind of to use an insider term of Disney lore. You know, that one song the character is able to kind of put their hopes and dreams into into song and into into words in a way that other characters can't hear. We have a wonderful song written by Lin-Manuel Miranda, who did Hamilton, who did um, just a couple of years ago, Moana. Um, really, I think he's just a wonderful, wonderful talent who just fits perfectly with Disney and does bring something very special here, I think, in these new songs. Um, and I think people are going to probably be liking those just as much as they are the recreations of the, the classics that really have not aged today, you know, Under a Sea, under the Sea, um, Kiss the Girl, really just tremendous, tremendous music in these movies. Excellent. So that's going to be uh, filling our cinemas. There's no two ways about it. Little Mermaid, starring Halle Bailey. Now, of course, the Cannes Film Festival, William, has just recently uh, happened with uh, Johnny Depp saying he doesn't need Hollywood anymore and he doesn't care if anybody likes his new movie or not. But um, another um, film that's caught the attention of um, various people over there is called Enshala A Boy, which is made, obviously, coming out of this region. Yeah, and I think really it just shows that Arab cinema it continues to be on the up and up. You know, I think in previous years we could have maybe one film that would you know capture people's attention from the region. This year there's a lot. You know, Four Daughters um, is in main competition. It's kind of a half documentary by Kathar Ben Hania, who did the previously Oscar-nominated film, and The Man Who Sold His Skin is possibly going to win it all um, when the awards are announced in just a few days. So that's really exciting. And then um, in the uncertain regard category, which is, you know, more first time filmmakers, up and coming names, I think Inshallah Boy has captured a lot of people's hearts and minds because yes, it is the first Jordanian film to screen at Cannes, but there's a good reason for it. You know, I think it's a film that you can easily, you know, label as important, uh, a film that, really is built to start an important conversation within its own culture as well as the global culture to, I, I think, have these audiences see it starts an attention on these subjects that will ultimately fuel back into potentially fueling change. Although, speaking to the director, um, he was very clear that this is not a, a political film, per se. This is a film that you know, Amjad al-Rashid has really tried to just put his heart and soul and put the heart and souls of the people that he knows into this film. It's, you know, inshallah, a boy as a phrase is known as a way that people, you know, when they're having a kid, they hope for a boy and women, a lot of times, especially for parents are seen as the unwanted child. And sometimes, you know, they're, they're not as valued and it's hard for women to take, you know, property mm, yeah. um, from yeah. inheritance. It's hard for them to get, you know, different legal rights the same way as men. And I think it's something that a lot of people had struggled with um, in Jordan and that he really wanted to talk more about. And I think it's a very, very powerful film that really shows that this is a filmmaker to watch moving forward and something that 
I think, shows that really some of the most important voices are the youngest voices. Began with a question, what if? And this question came from a situation of uh, a close relative of mine uh, that she was in that is very close to the uh, to my main character uh, story. And uh, there I had this question, what if she says no to all these laws and uh, traditions? Uh, what uh, what if she wants to fight and um what what are her options uh and is it possible that we are still ruled by law that uh was created uh, 1400 years ago all these questions fueled uh, the idea of uh, inshallah a boy well there's the director then of inshallah a boy um Uh, certainly being talked about a lot over at the Cannes Film Festival. Now, before I let you go uh, this week, William, I just came across a survey when I was uh, putting the show together of um, the the top 10 best ever movie directors. And this has been put together from various different websites. And I just want to get your thoughts. Five, Steven Spielberg. Four, Francis Ford Coppola. Three, Martin Scorsese. Two, Stanley Kubrick. But the number one... A master movie director is um, the man who made so many incredible films such as Vertigo, Psycho, Rear Window, is Alfred Hitchcock. What do you make of that top five, William? Okay. Some people might roll their eyes at me, but this just says top directors of all time, right? Yeah. All of these guys are brilliant and brilliant, but I think if there's anything that Can has been making me think about over the last week and a half since the festival launch is that really cinema is nothing if not a global conversation. And I think a lot of the most important voices in film history didn't come from the U.S. and the U.K., as much as you, you and I, um, you know, as Brits and Americans might want to disregard. But really, I think people like Akira Kurosawa or Andrei Tarkovsky, um, just Ingmar Bergman, Bresson, really, I think Europe, Asia, Africa, and the Middle East are just so important to... I think making film what it is today and broadening the conversation and, and also affecting style. I think there's so much that directors in the West, including guys like, you know, Coppola, Scorsese learned from, from those guys overseas. And I think, Really, they deserve to be in those conversations just as much as the guys who learn from them. I, th- Although, I, I thought you would have been celebrating Alfred Hitchcock, yes, the number one director. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Yeah, you've put me on the alternative uh, top ten, I think, uh, William. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Like, can you really discount a guy like Ozu? No, I mean, of course like, not. Many no. amazing movies. Yeah, <laughs> back to back to back. But honestly, you know, if I'm going to put anyone on this list in terms of what they mean to cinema, not just the movies themselves. And I've been thinking about this a lot too, because you know, he just had the killing of the flower moon premiere at Cannes um, just a few days ago with Leonardo DiCaprio and Robert De Niro. Scorsese. Like, I think he's an encapsulation of everything that's great about film, not just in the movies that he makes, which are much more than gangster movies. You know, he's made fantastic films like, you know, Kundun and Age of Innocence and After Hours that are completely different in style. King of Comedy, which debuted at Cannes with De Niro, I think in 82. I think he's someone who has just always been about preserving cinema and in celebrating international voices. You know, he has an ongoing series where he restores films from all over from from africa from asia from eastern europe and makes people you know 
look at these films that they've never really taken seriously before. He is film's greatest ambassador and 80 years old. I just hope he's around for another hundred years because uh, I don't think that anyone is a, is a better um, display of the beauty of this art form. Okay, well, I'll, I'll drop Alfred Hitchcock to number two and put Martin Scorsese <laughs> as number one. William, brilliant chatting to you as uh, ever, and thank you so much for your great insights into the world of movies. We'll catch you one more time next week. Talk soon, mate. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.